0: Welcome back, lovelies. This is, why did I write that? We're on The Seventh Diary, episode 17. Um, in the last episode, uh, MK and I both have jobs. Uh, I'm working at a place called Slurp. That's a soup and sandwich bar, sort of a little mini restaurant um, in Perth. Turns out... Nick, the guy that we were renting a room from, um, was a, a terrible person, particularly a terrible person to live with. So we moved out, um, and we just found a place in Como and decided to move there. Um, oh, and I just found out as well in the last episode that, uh, I'm going to be off work for three weeks, um because it's sort of over the, the winter break. Our restaurant was in the, um, was in an office building, like in sort of a food court kind of. There's like two or three restaurants um, on the lower floor of this office building. So it made sense that we weren't open over the break. Uh, plus my boss's wife had just had a new baby and they were kind of struggling um, with that. So yeah, three weeks off work, which I'm not stoked on, but I'm thinking I, I might just spend some time at the beach. Um, picking things back up it is Saturday December 19th 2009 finally got some more work from Katrina we were catering a Christmas party thrown by some ridiculously rich people they have four kids and each of them was told to invite 50 friends for an open bar catered party with a DJ and fancy cocktail spinners and a dance floor slash tent set up on their tennis court yeah so I remember this the they were yeah exceptionally exceptionally rich and fancy they even had hired security we did the usual circulating trays of drinks collecting empties refilling champagne and wine etc it was like a party from a movie or tv tv that you think is over exaggerated Nobody actually throws parties that extravagant. Nobody dresses like that. Nobody knowingly has their children and children's friends lining up at a shed in the backyard to snort cocaine before returning to the dance floor. Uh, it was fun to watch. So this, just a brief aside, this lineup at the, at the back to snort cocaine um, was in, was leading to the gardener's shed Um, which is where I had been told was the bathroom for the help. Um, So I was there, like, in my serving blacks, floor-length apron, like, all fancy, um, and I see that there's a lineup to get into the bathroom. And I'm thinking, like, oh, that's, you know... Despite this being this sort of, like, crazy, over-the-top, fantastical party, um, the, like... Here I am thinking that the friends of the kids are like being respectful and staying out of the main house and like they're just lining up to use the gardener's bathroom because they're guests or whatever. Um, and I was standing in line, like this line had like probably 20 people in it, it was pretty long. Um, so it's just, you know, standing, waiting in line. And the girl in front of me turned around and was like, Oh, hey, are you in line to get Coke as well? I was like, Nope just try to pee. So I think it turns out one of, one of the four kids from this family had like just bought like a bucket of coke and had it set up in there for any of the party goers to enjoy. Yeah, it was, it was quite the party. Um... As the night went on, people, especially girls, became sloppy, so I spilled once or twice as someone used me to propel themselves in a new direction while their feet tried to go in another. We were being paid until 2am, and we were told to start packing up at 1.30. As I was collecting empties, a young guy asked me to get him a beer. I told him that all of the service was now from the bar, as we were packing up. He seemed shocked, as in his mind, the party was meant to go till at least dawn." <laughs> He asked me if I would st- if we would stay later. I told him that we were only paid until two, so that's when we were going to leave. He offered to pay us to stay. I scoffed, reminding him that there were four of us left at $30 an hour each. See, in my mind, this is a large sum. For these people, this was pocket change. Um, he was non-phased and said that he'd pay us each $100 an hour if we stayed until dawn. I would have accepted, but I told him to go talk to the boys at the bar. There was so much, there was much discussion, which ended in the security, also being asked to stay by this crisp kid, calling the owner of the house, who said that they had to pack up because of noise laws or whatever. So that was that. No extra $400, but oh well. Apparently the guy offered to just give MK money anyways, because he thought we were doing a good job. And gosh, it must be tough being poor. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, this guy is just, like, in another world. Um, But as he opened his wallet, he remembered that he'd spent all of his cash buying Coke for the party. (laughs) Shame. I was talking to him afterwards, and he was casually mentioning that he had flown to Toronto the last weekend for a friend's birthday party, and had been in London the weekend before. And then earnestly asked me, so, what's it like traveling without money? Oh, please. I told him truthfully that it was a lot of fun, and that hostels are a great way of meeting people and really experiencing a place. He said he may be able to get work for MK and I, and took our phone number. MK was promised a job in pest control, and I could earn another couple of bucks by ironing his clothes and cleaning his home theater. He did. I mean, at the time, the offer did seem very genuine. He's just like, "Oh my God, you're so poor. I have like I have so much money. I could pay you to like dust my bedroom, like my games room. It'll be, it'll be great." Oh, what a fucking weird way to live. Um, I do not expect he will remember who the phone number belongs to in the morning when he's not high or drunk. December twenty fifth. Merry Christmas, my first Christmas without snow, and a day like any other in our house, except that nobody had to work. We all slept in, and then Q made some veggies and meat dish, and MK and I cooked a pasta dish for ourselves. We ate and then sat around drinking, smoking, and chilling. Nick's in Melbourne for the holidays, and Abhi went to visit his family in India until the new year, so it was MK and I, Clinton, Sher, and Q. Q's friend Deepika came over as well. We were gonna go to the beach, but it was just too hot, if you can believe it. 39 degrees, but no wind. Whoot, the family is gonna be jealous when I tell them tomorrow. (laughs) December 26th. Skyped with the family today, since it's Christmas there. We were, oh, they were at Aunt Teresa's. We got the video to work for a couple of minutes, and then it crapped out, so it was only an audio call. It was nice to hear everybody and see some of them briefly. M.K. got off work early because the star was dead, so we went to the beach with Clinton and Cher. December 27th. Q's, well, everyone's friend Maketo had us over for a pool party today. Quite nice to swim in non-salty water for a change. Basically, pretty chill with a barbecue, some beers, and chilling with some of, some of his Zimbabwean friends. Towards the end, one of his friends showed up with her dog, Moby, a cross between a Great Dane and a Mastiff, one of the biggest dogs I have ever seen. We came home early-ish, as everyone kind of burned out. December 28th, I got a bike! (laughs) Yes, finally. Nothing too fancy, but an upgrade from my old lady one-speed coaster brake back home. It has 24 speeds and front shocks that make going over bumps a joke. (laughs) And I only paid $30 for it. Nice. Unfortunately, helmets are the law in Western Australia, so I had to shell out another 35 for a helmet, but now I'm all set. Unfortunately. Safety first, Gaia. Wear your helmet. December 29th. I attempted to ride into Perth today to see if it would be plausible to bike to work in the mornings. Unfortunately, I picked a 39 degree day at noon to try it. (laughs) Well, that's just poor planning on my part. It's only about 7 or 8 kilometers ride on the path that parallels the highway, but there's no shade along it and there was no wind. Though it was a pretty easy flat ride, I drained two bottles of Gatorade and (laughs) had to stop a couple of times in the meager shady spots to try to cool down. About half a kilometer from the city, I started getting dizzy and seeing spotty, so I got off and walked, not wanting to push my luck with heat stroke. I had to sit on some shady stairs for about 10 minutes until I stopped quivering, and then I took the train back. It might be a better ride in the cooler mornings, but it takes forty minutes, and that's longer than the train takes, so screw that. Maybe I'll just bike to the train station each morning. <laughs> and not risk heat exhaustion every day. Good good thinking. December thirty first. New Year's Eve. Ooh Oh yeah. This is buckle in. I, re- I remember what happened this this time. New Year's Eve. We sat around in the backyard for a while, just listening to music and drinking. There was Q, Deepika, MK, Clinton, Sher, and Sher's new friend Molly, who has stayed here the past couple of nights. She's younger, 15 or 16 maybe, but is trying to be cool by hanging out with older kids. She smokes and bums beers from Clinton, but doesn't really talk to anyone but Sher. At least Sher has someone to talk to. She spends her days alone, which makes her, makes her starve for attention, so she gets on Clint's nerves. They fight a lot, and it often ends with one of them threatening to move back to Sydney and get a court order to take the baby away from the other. Yeah, this is, this is just like a, a real real gem of a relationship with these two. Um, Schur's luggage is tossed on the lawn. Oh, and Schur's luggage tossed on the lawn is a common occurrence. So at least with this girl here, Cher has someone to talk to, although she's getting on everyone else's nerves, and we all wish she would go back to wherever she lives. There was talk of some party north of Perth and some with some of Q's Kenyan friends, but we decided that it was too far away. Then some of Q's other friends were going to maybe come over, but we decided it was too late to sit around waiting for them, so we took the train into the city to see fireworks." We went to the harbor and there were a lot of people down there, but alas, when midnight came, within a span of six or seven minutes by various clocks, there were no fireworks. What a disappointment. We called Haley and Niels, Emma, Kevin P., and my house. Q and Clinton talked to our friends as well, and everyone got a kick out of running around yelling, Happy New Year to anyone and everyone. We stopped at McDonald's to try to to use the toilets before hopping back on the train home. The line to the girls' WC was too long, so I popped into the boys' after MK gave it the all clear. Once I was in, however, about 5 guys entered. MK told them that I was in there, and a couple of them got mad, but I left and washed my hands in the girls' bathroom. Deepika and Sher were shocked that I would do that, but it's not that uncommon to do in Canada. Oh well. We got on the train and started our journey home. Clinton started on his argument that he was okay to drive home from where we had parked the cars near the train station, but we all disagreed. He tried to get his keys from Q, who was sitting next to him. A tussle ensued. Just the normal roughhousing that boys tend to do. All fun and games until someone loses an eye, or in this case, bashes his head off a pole. Clint's head got jogged against a metal pole, and he absolutely lost it. I think this is an understatement. I have never seen anybody so out of control and absolutely crazy. His eyes rolled back in his head and he was huffing and puffing and throwing punches as he lunged from MK's grasp at Q. Oh, I guess MK was like holding him back or something. Luckily, our stop was the next one, so we hurried him out of the train away from the many terrified onlookers. Clinton kept yelling that Q had meant to bash his head against that pole while well, Q was reasoning with him, even as his windpipe was being compressed. Yeah, Q was like, or Clinton was, like, strangling Q for for most of this. Um, Q was reminding Clint that, that it was he, Q, his, his brother. Yeah, he was like, man, it's me, it's me. Like, yeah. Clinton was just absolutely fucking, like, had lost it, was not, not being reasonable, was not, like, couldn't reach him. Clint would calm down for a few moments and then click again and lunge at Q. I was, I was helping MK hold Clint back for a while, till one of his punches landed on the side of MK's head. I couldn't bear to be near it any longer. Fighting gets me in a bad way ever since Chris was killed. The knowledge of how quickly and easily it can go so wrong. So I walked away and was crying. Sure, got shaken when, in an attempt to calm Clinton down, he pushed her away on the stomach. Keep in mind, remember, she's pregnant. So she was crying because she was worried about the baby. Molly started crying for no apparent reason, other than maybe she wanted attention. (laughs) Clinton eventually stormed off and got into his car and sped off. Fuck, such a bad scene. Ugh. This worried Cher sure even more, imagining him wrapped around some telephone pole. By this time, he was pissed off and confused his anger for sobriety. I tried to tell him he shouldn't drive and that he would be, it would be better for us all just to walk home and cool off. He drove anyways, so we all went with him. Which is a fucking dumb idea. He's, he's not sober enough to drive, so we'll all get in the car with him. Great thinking. When we pulled up at home, Clinton was sitting in the car in the driveway. He reversed like a bullet and shot the dirtiest, most hateful look at our car before speeding off again. We all went inside. Molly mentioned leaving to go home, but none of us thought that she should be walking home alone at two in the morning. So sure offered to drive her, but she said no. Then Clinton came back and went. Oh, then Clinton came back in and went after Q again. These on again, off again fits of uncontrollable rage continued for a couple of hours. MK told me just to wait in our room, which ended up being sort of a sanctuary for those who wanted relief from Clinton's bouts. I think our room might've been the only one with like a proper lock on the door. So this is a good, good place to hide out from this guy just absolutely fucking losing his mind. Um, Molly was making a nuisance of herself by being on the phone, crying to her sister that Clint was going to kill her, and still she wouldn't go home. While Clinton was finally vomiting, she she was even stupid enough to go out and try to talk to him. We thought she had left my room, which is where we were, which is where we were all at the time. No, which is where we all were at the time. Uh, to use the toilet until we heard Clinton yelling for her to get the fuck away from him. Sure went and retrieved her. At one point, someone noticed a car pull up outside the house that looked like it may have been a cop car. Someone else argued that it was a taxi because of the positioning of the top light. That was when we realized that Molly had left for real. We all just assumed that she had finally called a cab to take her home. This is like, literally we had been, we'd been like, we'll pay for a cab. Like you need to go home. And she was like, Insisted that she was going to walk and then she didn't want to leave and like, yeah, she was of a bad scene. Uh, we found it odd that she didn't tell anyone. Sure, especially that she was leaving, but whatever. At least she was gone. We eventually all went to sleep. Uh, happy 2010. This is, yeah, that was quite, quite the New Year's Eve. Um, it's going to be the end of this episode and... I'll tell you right away that next episode is going to be a doozy. (laughs)